AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. It's the Matt McNeil Show. I was just trying to cue up a video here. So busy, so many things going on. Todd Mickelson sitting in on the Matt McNeil Show. And uh, we're also on uh, WCPT 820 in Chicago this hour. Um, so, yeah, time was getting away from me there. So, sorry, Patrick. <laughs> I didn't even have my earphones on. That's uh, no worries. I just wasn't even sure how to signal you. That was kind of like, uh, should I say something? Should I wait for you to notice? Should I? <laughs> I wasn't sure what to how do. How much dead air was there? We just got to listen to a long piece of the song. No, we just got to listen to more of Matt Central music than right. one usually gets to hear, which might be a nice change of pace in the minds of some. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh, yeah, a big, huge clock right in front of me, and I uh, I still didn't. Um, oh, and speaking of that, I don't have my timesheet in here either. I, I think the first break is at uh, 18 minutes, right? Yeah, anyway. Okay, technical things. That's not We're not supposed to be uh, actually broadcasting, you know, like uh, radio things, watching the clock, things like that. Anyway, so... Wow, uh, so so many things to talk about. I don't even know where to start. Um, I I think I'm going to do a Casey Kasem's countdown. Somebody made a meme of some long forgotten uh, comments that people who worked for Trump, who were appointed into the Trump cabinet, worked in the Trump administration, the things that they had to say about Trump. Uh, and it's a six-part, so I should probably start right now. We're, this is Casey Kasem's countdown of things said by people who were hired by Trump about Trump. Our next artist was the administrator of the EPA. He made tons, he got rid of tons of regulations, so actually weakened the EPA. It was a thing that Trump's administration did. He also had to quit because... He spent too much money, rode first class too much, and had cozy relations with lobbyists. Scott Pruitt at number six. And Scott Pruitt said that Trump is an empty vessel when it comes to things like the Constitution and rule of law. These are people who get to work with Trump. Uh, and we're not even going to talk about the whole thing that happened a couple weeks ago with the hashtag Trump smells. I'm sure that all these guys would have something to say about that as well, but uh, we're not going to go into that. So uh, more bad rulings for Trump. As a matter of fact, uh, he tried to sue the New York Times months ago now, and now a judge has ruled that and because he sued, it, it's a frivolous lawsuit, right? But because he sued, the New York Times had to spend money on legal fees. And just today, in the midst of all these money penalties that we've been talking about here, it's a, a, a judge ruled that Trump has to pay the New York Times $370,000 in uh, fees that they spent on legal fees. Um, we're talking next week, the... Uh, e. Jean Carroll case, people are predicting maybe, well, at least tens of millions of dollars. He already has to pay her $5 million from the first lawsuit. So next week, 
it's going to be ruled upon, and we we might actually hear by the end of the week because the trial has already happened and he is guilty. So now it's just the uh, jury needs to hear why, you know, just the the, uh, the evidence so that they can decide how much he owes her in defamation and punitive damage. So the punitive damage part is the jury being instructed that he needs to be punished. So that's the punishment. The damages is assessed, and there will be an expert there, the same expert that uh, worked in an, in uh, another case uh, ruling, actually the one with uh, Giuliani, I believe, where people were predicting that Giuliani might have to pay something like $50 million, and that was a lot. Everybody was thinking that was a lot. It was a lot more than what was originally planned for. But instead, with punitive damage and everything, in the Giuliani case, it went up to $148 million. So in this E. Jean Carroll case, I'm hearing, again, these experts that I've I just try and gather as much information on it as possible. Some people are saying that they think it will be something like $25 million. But some are saying it could, you know, after the Giuliani case, people are starting to say, well, it could go all Giuliani on him. So if people are saying $25 million now, it could be could go up to like, you know, 75 or $100 million. And like we talked about kind of extensively yesterday in the other uh, civil case, which is the New York fraud case, people are talking about the possibility of $1 billion. So uh, it's being asked $370 million is being asked by the AG. And that is disgor- disgorgement. It's not damages. So Trump keeps saying, nobody was hurt. Nobody was hurt in this. The banks weren't hurt. The banks love me. They love working with me. Your favorite president, me. And uh, he, he keeps trying to say that so that he shouldn't have to pay any money. Well, this isn't damages. This isn't paying back the banks for damages. This is disgorgement because you lied to the banks and therefore you didn't have to pay tons of in. Uh, 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 interest. Ugh. Okay, now my brain's frazzled because I let that song play too long. He saved money on tons of interest so that by doing that, by lying to the banks, he also gained that money illegally. And that's what he needs to be disgorged of. And the attorney general has numbers on why she thinks that it should be he should be disgorged 370 million but also there's evidence that it could be way 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 more than that because for one thing it's over the last 10 years and there's a lot more evidence of a lot more illegally gained funds by the Trump organization it was even mentioned maybe $2 billion, and I said yesterday, that's still only for the last 10 years, and he's been doing this for 50 years. 
So in the midst of all of that, he also is supposed to pay the New York Times $370 million. I don't know if how these people get the money, but uh, he will be directed to get rid of assets. So how do you think he would be able to hide if he has to get rid of assets and say he has to sell Mar-a-Lago, Mar-a-Lardo, however you <laughs> – that's how I say it, Mar-a-Lardo. And do you think that that's going to get missed by the press? You think he can just kind of do a do an under the table, you know, just keep it quiet, everybody, but I'm selling Mar-a-Lago? I don't think so. Very, very interesting talk this morning, actually, on uh, MSNBC. There were six people talking on the subject of, you know, I know everybody's saying that Trump is definitely a shoe-in to be the Republican nominee for president. But... All of these many, many things. And so they were talking about a lot of it I talked about yesterday and I've been talking about for months. Um, I made a prediction, I think, last summer on the air here and on my podcast that I just think Donald Trump's not going to end up being the nominee. And now I'm hearing a lot of people. Many people are saying, many people are saying. And I'm not trying to brag about me being right. I'm just saying that. Things really are changing. Over the last three or so weeks, things are really shifting. I saw Nancy Pelosi talking about how she thinks it would be absolutely impossible for Trump to become president. And she's talking about, well, it's because Joe Biden is just getting started in his campaign. And in 2020, she made the point that a lot of people said, hey, it was really lucky that health care became an issue in the 2020 election. And she said, well, it didn't become an issue. We didn't get lucky. We made it an issue because we started talking about it. So now, how many issues are there? Of course, there's still only one that's going to be overwhelming, the overwhelming issue on election day. And that is women's reproductive health care rights, including a safe abortion. The Republicans know this. That's why so many of them are retiring, quote unquote, <laughs> not running for re-election. Because the smart ones know that they can't win. And the reason they can't win is because of that one issue. But there are others. Joe Biden is starting by making the point that we need to defend our democracy because Donald Trump is saying, I, I'm going to be a dictator. That's what I want to be. And by the time we get to Election Day, I'm sure the Biden administration, uh, the Biden campaign is going to be talking about women's health care rights and the fact that if we let the Republicans take over, many women will die unnecessarily. Many, hundred thousands of women will die unnecessarily. 99% of abortions happen in the first something like 20 weeks. And 
that's I think why some Republicans are saying, well, we can we can have a cap on it. Let's say 15 weeks or 20 weeks. But the problem is that one percent, which makes up thousands of women, they could die. So we need to keep it open all the way because the ones who will die are, you know, I don't know why they can't do the math. Let's take a short break. You're listening to The Matt McNeil Show on AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. We'll be right back. Fifty, the progressive voice of Minnesota, Todd Mickelson, sitting in on the Matt McNeil show, and you're listening to Casey Kasem's countdown of what Trump cabinet members say when they're asked to describe Donald Trump. At number five, our next artist used to be a political advisor and retired U.S. Marine Corps general who served as Trump's White House chief of staff from 2017 to 2019. His name John Kelly. Uh, Mr. Kelly, can you describe what you think of Donald Trump? Yeah, he's an idiot. That's the fifth one. We've got four more to go. We'll cover them in this hour. Um, so we were talking about, uh, what were we talking about? Talking about the, the many things like uh, Nancy Pelosi saying there's no way Trump can become president. We were talking about the details of uh, why we need to have, uh, why women need to have access to safe abortions. And yes, it needs to go up to the last final weeks because that's when the problems that are life-threatening happen. And 1% of abortions are done in that time period. Most of them are done within the time period that Republicans say, well, let's put a cap on of 15 or 20 weeks. 99% of them are done before that. Uh, And also, there are a lot of records to show that when abortions are safe and legal, the rate of abortions go down. You know, why do you think uh, – here's another thing about the math that Republicans do. They also want to get rid of contraception. So what what do they think the results of that is going to be? It's crazy. It's crazy. They have become crazy. And all of these things going on, I want to talk a little bit about uh, what they're trying to do to Joe Biden right now because they know they're – going to have a bloodbath on the Republican side in the election of 2024. I know everybody's saying, oh, it's going to be so close and so tight. It's for reasons that I've been talking about. It's not going to be so close and so tight. The red tsunami that was supposed to happen in 2022 did not happen. It was a small little red drip on the sidewalk. And that's because Democrats just overwhelmingly turned out. Everybody is being surprised in every election, even the elections that Republicans are trying to sneak in in August on special things. Now you have the Republicans trying to go after uh, Joe Biden. And it's because, like, what what happened when 
Hunter Biden came into the committee hearing. Hunter Biden is a citizen, and he happens to be the son of the current president. And the way these people talked to him was vile. That's how much they have decided that they hate Democrats. Democrats are their enemy. They hate Democrats more than they hate terrorists. This, you know, I've talked about the history of that. I, I believe that really got started with uh, in the mid 1990s. Newt Gingrich, that was his big idea, and it's been growing and growing since. Fourteen years ago, it was the Tea Party, and now it's this Magot thing, and the. <laughs> They're trying to impeach Joe Biden. I'm going to play a piece of sound here, Patrick. This is what I was having trouble finding, queuing up. But this is James Comer being asked on Meet the Press a few weeks ago about some of the evidence, because there is no evidence, but he's being asked about it on Meet the Press, and, and here's how it went. come from? That came from well, from the committee. I don't know. We haven't seen that information. That is you committee all, information yeah, that, that is collected from the bank records that, that your committee has. Just obtained. show the check. If Joe Biden wrote, sir, so are you telling me that you have a do you have a blank do you have a a canceled check for every wire transfer that's ever come into well, your account? Well, we have a with that wire that we. Yes, you, you can personally show. Have I a, can show you that, and that's yes. what has been shown is a. There is bank records that demonstrate You're a wire that an exact that same amount of money came. Say, okay. Let's no, move on. They're saying that something from. No, it's not. I mean, look. Are you saying you those say bank records? Okay, sir. Are you saying those bank records do not exist that show the money leaving the president's account that shows and going into his son? There's money. But they were money I, sir, laundering. Answer this specific you question. You see wires is going that, all over the. So what does that sound like? Does that sound like a child <laughs> being being asked? You know, uh, did you did you Eat that cookie that I told you not to eat. What? No. No, I didn't touch it. I didn't touch the cookie. Yeah, you ate the cookie, didn't you? No. Well, I did, but that's only because I, I no, I, did, well, I didn't. Oh. And the reason they're trying to do this impeachment thing is because their guy has been impeached twice. And our people say... You know, I mean, we call him the, the twice impeached ex-president. Disgraced. We, there's a plenty of names we, that we can tag on to him. But they know that their guy has been impeached twice. So how are we supposed to go into an election? Our guy's been impeached. And Joe Biden hasn't done anything wrong. So how are we supposed to have a fair election? How is the election going to be fair if— Joe Biden hasn't done anything wrong. Our guy done 91 crimes. He's going to prison. And, well, their guy hasn't done anything. We gotta, how, how can we go have a fair election if he's not impeached? We have to impeach him. That's why we, that's why we have to impeach him. Otherwise, we're going to have no, no chance in, in, on election day. It's going to be not, not going to be a fair election. That's the whole reason. Um, it's kind of therapeutic to go into that voice. I, I see maybe now why he talks like that. It makes my brain kind of, I think it pulls more oxygen into my brain and I could talk. Maybe I should do, let's just do the rest of the broadcast like that. You're listening to AM 950. That it, sounds a lot like the, uh, the, the 
creepy neighbor on Family Guy's voice. I don't know if you're familiar with that show, but it sounds a lot like that. Yeah, it, it is cartoonish. Um, but that was actually James Comer. He's the chairman of the Oversight Committee. And, by the way, he has done some of the same things that they're trying to pin on Joe Biden that Joe Biden hasn't even done. But uh, they were saying that you know Joe Biden got he, he got paid back from a loan. Well, sir, didn't you get uh, paid back from a loan from your brother? No. Well, well, I bought some land from him. Well, okay, but you got two hundred thousand dollars from your brother, just like you're saying that uh, Joe Biden got two hundred thousand dollars from his brother. Well, yeah, but that's that's different, you know. So it just goes on and on. But yeah, we'll we'll probably I'll do the rest of the show. Uh, with that voice. Um, we're going to have to take a break here in a second. But um, when we come back, I'll be, we, we'll be talking, we'll be under the progressive voice of Minnesota. AM 950. It's the Matt McNeil Show. I'm Tom Mickelson, sounding like James Comer. We'll take a break and come right back. AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota, Todd Mickelson in for the Matt McNeil show. And we also have in the studio, Casey Kasem. It's Casey Kasem's countdown of the top six things Trump cabinet members asked when they're described, asked to describe Donald Trump. I'm off my game. I haven't been on the rate. Well, actually, I'm dead. Our next artist is a retired United States Army Lieutenant General who served as the 25th United States National Security Advisor to the President from 2017 to 2018. Sadly, that President was Donald Trump. H.R. McMaster, he was discharged by Trump when they couldn't get along at all because H.R. McMaster is a man and Donald Trump is a little baby. Uh, Mr. McMaster, um, can you describe to us, uh, Donald, your opinion of Donald Trump? Uh, Yeah, he's an idiot and a dope. I still love the name dope, the term dope. It's old school, Matt, man, Matt, Matt Master. It's old school. Yeah, I just got a text from my mom who listens when I'm on the radio. And uh, she told me not to talk like James Comer. She said, please don't use that voice throughout the show. So I won't. I got punished by my mom. Just like, you know, did you t- eat that cookie? No! Anyway. So I won't talk like that anymore. Say, you know, another thing going on in the midst of all this craziness. Trump was actually in court again today in Georgia um, and, uh, I, I was still going on when I came in, so I don't know what the, um, what the results of that is. He's going to be in court next week, uh, over the, uh, rape case, basically that he is already guilty in, and they're just going to find out how much money he owes his victim, Eugene Carroll. 
He's, in fact, going to be in court for most of the year. A great place to run a campaign from. But another thing going on is the NRA. The NRA is on trial right now. Uh, Wayne LaPierre, he retired last Friday, I believe, just days before this case because he's a corrupt fraudster himself. Now, uh, a lot of people don't realize the history of the NRA. It began in 1871. It was started by uh, Colonel Burnside, who had big, huge sideburns. And in fact, that's where the name came from. Uh, that's why sideburns are called sideburns, because General Burnside had famous sideburns. And he started it because there was a study done after the Civil War. Now, rifles were a pretty new thing in the Civil War. They were still mostly using muskets. But there were a few riflemen, or kind of more than a few. But they, it was a much more accurate gun than, than the, you know, the, the musket guns. And it could shoot further. The problem is nobody really knew how to use them very well yet. So they did a study and... For every one Confederate soldier hit by a rifle, there were 1,000 shots. <laughs> I'm not exaggerating. For every 1,000 bullets that were shot out of a rifle during the Civil War, it only hit, they only hit one guy. So Burnside, after the Civil War, he thought, well, I'm going to start a group and we're going to teach people how to safely use rifles. And... So he was the first president. Um, president Ulysses S. Grant was a president of the NRA. I think he was like the seventh or eighth president of the NRA. And they advocated for safe use of firearms. In 1934, well, I should tell you, too, the, the history of the Tommy gun. Uh, in the First World War, there was a, another, I think he was a general, and his name was Thompson. And he wanted to invent a gun that could shoot faster. So he came up with what's now known as a machine gun, a handheld machine gun. We had machine guns that were big and huge that you had to trailer around, but he came up with a handheld machine gun and it's kind of it was named after him, Thompson. It became known, known as the Tommy gun. But it wasn't used in the First World War because he invented it and the military had a contract for, I, I think, like a, 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 at least a 1,000 guns. So he went ahead and manufactured them. But they were still being shipped to Europe when the war ended. And back then, the United States didn't keep our military toys because we didn't want to have a standing military in this country. That's part of the reason the Second Amendment is part of the Constitution. So states could keep their militias. That's why it says, you know, in order to have a well-regulated militia. And so the NRA, uh, what ended up happening is then uh, Thompson was like, well, now I have all these guns. I want to find another market for them. So he sold it to the public. And what happened? All of <laughs> uh, go going along with prohibition. 
uh, all of a sudden the gangsters had some more crimes they could do. Because when you make too many things illegal, then uh, people sell it illegally and they make more money. And uh, that's what happened during Prohibition. That's why we stopped Prohibition. But um, the gangsters were better armed than the police and law enforcement. So in 1934, after you know more than 10 years of this craziness, Congress finally passed a bill that regulated guns. You know, it's it came up with different gun designs that was like, no, you don't need this gun in order to protect yourself or your home or whatever. This is unnecessary. We need to make this gun illegal. The NRA supported that legislation because the NRA was all about gun safety. And the NRA didn't want guns to get a bad rap, and they didn't want guns to kill people. That's what the NRA was like back then. Even as late as 1968, there was more gun regulation passed because the 60s were getting out of control with gun violence. And the NRA supported that legislation as well. It wasn't until some people infiltrated the NRA at their convention in 1977 that they started to act politically and they started to block gun regulations. And in the early 90s, Wayne LaPierre became their main spokesman. And he wrote a letter using terms like jackbooted, you know, jackboots on cops, uh, Nazi terms. He was he sent a letter to the membership in 1995, trying to raise funds for the NRA, and he was basically accusing law enforcement of being Nazis. So we need to arm ourselves. That's so. By the time it got to 1995, that the NRA was deep into their vile ghoulness. And of course, they were just working for the gun manufacturers who just wanted to make more money and sell more guns. The result of one result of that letter that Wayne LaPierre sent out in 1995 was George H.W. Bush, former president of the United States, resigned his position from the NRA, his membership. He got rid of his membership because of that letter, because he thought the NRA had become something that he could not support anymore. My father, you know, he just had hunting guns. He was a member of the NRA. He renounced his membership, I believe it was like in the early 80s, when it took him not as long as it took uh, George H.W. Bush to get sick of supporting the NRA and recognizing that the NRA had become something that was not something he wanted to support. And Wayne LaPierre now got caught spending, especially over the last few years, it's almost like they worked up to 19 uh, or 2016 and supported Trump, and then they lost all their money. They, they lost uh, millions, I think something like $64 million in two years or something like that. And... Uh, Wayne LaPierre was buying suits. He was flying his family on vacations to the Caribbean. Um, he was just lavishly using NRA money 
for his own gain, and so were some other guys. Uh, they're, you know, I, we don't need to go through all of the detail, but of course, what does the NRA do? Because they are also a defendant in this case. They're just trying to separate themselves from Wayne LaPierre. But Wayne LaPierre is a ghoul, and he's going down for the count. Of course, it's too bad that all these guys grow to be old before they get punished for their lifelong horrible fraud and ghoulishness. I guess he's not he's not going to he's not being prosecuted for being a ghoul, but uh, he is being prosecuted for his fraud that he perpetrated ironically against the NRA actually uh, or its members. Another thing the NRA does, they send memberships to people and they count those people as being members. I was getting member asking me to be a member in the NRA, even though I ran for office, I ran for a state house seat, and I got an F from the NRA twice, they still were asking me to become a member. And that and they counted me as already being a member. So their membership has always been a fraction of what they have claimed their membership to be. But now they filed for bankruptcy a couple uh, a while ago and they really don't have money to give to Republican uh, candidates anymore. They've lost all their power and they're on trial this week and will it, I don't could be the death blow for the NRA and Wayne LaPierre and a couple other ghouls and uh, so the lobbying is way down and you've heard me talking about how the the, uh, the elections are going to go so once uh, I think the, I, I think we're looking at another assault weapons ban in the year 2025 I really I, I really think that's going to happen and it's too bad that we had 20 years without an assault rifle ban, but um, we can start saving lives again in 2025 because the NRA is pretty kaput. You're listening to Casey Kasem's top six things that Trump cabinet members say when they're asked to describe Donald Trump. Our next artist is just Steve Bannon. Do I even need to describe him? I don't think I do. He was pardoned by Trump, but he's still, when he's asked to describe Trump, he said, he's like an 11-year-old boy. <laughs> yeah. So, um, uh, another thing that uh, happened, I'm trying to, trying to keep the... Uh, Casey Kasem thing going as we now we have two more left. Okay, I think we're going to make it. I think we're going to make it. Um, so in the news, there is some skirmishes that the United States is getting a little, a little too caught up in, um, and uh, yet another terrorist group. It's starting to get to be like these terrorist groups are are horrible boy bands because they have these these names: Hezbollah, Al Qaeda. ISIS, Hamas, Hummus, we like to call it Hummus, and now the Houthis. I know it's a different language, but Houthis, 
That's really what you're going to name yourself? Anyway, they're basically pirates, and they have been attacking ships in the Red Sea. So we attacked a couple places there, and people are talking about it. It's in the news today a lot. Um, some people are worried that it could escalate. Um, and it's too early to tell, really. I don't have uh, that much of an opinion on it because it's just happening. We're going to take a short break and come right back on AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. Todd Mickelson sitting in on the Matt McNeil Show. We'll be right back. AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. Todd Mickelson sitting in on the Matt McNeil Show. And you're also listening to us on WCPT 820 in Chicago for this first hour. And we're going through Casey Kasem's top six things Trump cabinet members say when they're asked to describe Donald Trump. Our next artist took office as the director of the National Economic Council in President Donald Trump's administration. Cohen led the Trump administration's efforts to pass the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act of 2017. He only worked for him for about a year. Uh, Mr. Gary Cohen, you worked for Trump. Um, you must have some opinions. Uh, please describe for us uh, Donald Trump. Ah, yeah, Donald Trump is an idiot surrounded by clowns. <laughs> so these are... Uh, there's many, many more. I'm doing six here. Do you think there's one cabinet member under, say, Barack Obama who would say something like that, like any of these things? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and again, we're, we're not even going into the uh, hashtag Trump smells problem that was going on in the White House, apparently. <sighs> and by the way, I also want to point out if – if you think you're innocent, like Trump keeps saying, I did nothing wrong, I did everything right, and they indicted me, then why are you delaying all of these court hearings? Wouldn't you very quickly want to go through these court hearings and prove to everybody that you're innocent of all of these things, and then you can just run for president? And you don't even have to pardon yourself. Why are you delaying? Why are you insisting to be sitting in a courtroom and possibly a jailhouse by the time uh, the election day comes? It seems like you'd be in a hurry to clear your good name. More reasons uh, that these people were talking about this morning. Uh, Trump, every time he opens his mouth, he said— um, that he hopes that our economy crashes in the next couple months because it'll help him for the election. He doesn't care about the American people. He doesn't care about America. You know, but he's admitting that the economy is doing well. He said, it's only doing well because it's running on the fumes. Really, when you think about it, it's running on my fumes. And again, I don't think you want to be talking about fumes the same week that hashtag Trump smells is on Twitter. But he does. He does. He, he said that into a microphone. We pointed out yesterday that he pointed out that he's the one who got rid of Roe v. Wade, which then the Biden uh, campaign immediately 
included in an ad within minutes, that's going to happen how many hundreds of times before election day. So he's admitting that he got rid of something that 99% of Americans want to keep. And and 99, I don't know if it's 99 exactly. I know it's more than 95, um, you know, percent of Americans want uh, women to have access to safe reproductive health care, including abortions. So he keeps saying that over and over again. But then he went on to say, but we we can't say it like that. Otherwise, we won't get elected. We got to think of a... He, so not in so many words. He's saying, we need to lie about it. We need to find a way to lie about it to make everyone happy. Come up with a plan that makes everyone happy so that we get elected. And then after we get elected, then we can go back to a total ban or whatever all you church people want. I'll do whatever your church people want if you just get me back in the White House. It's the only way I'm going to stay out of the jailhouse. And sadly, within the Republican Party, he's doing well. He does even better when he he says all of these things. Uh, The fact that he's going to be in courthouses and, you know— he might have a major criminal trial, possibly as early as March. It might get delayed a little bit, but if it's not that one, it, there's another criminal one lined up in May. These are criminal, where he could get sentenced to prison. And um, Fox News has already started to say, well— He could be president from prison. So does that mean Fox News is admitting that they think he's going to go to prison? It seems like uh, that's that's the case. And now, uh, one of the judges the other day set a trap that his people fell into. So now everybody's talking about that Trump wants a president to be immune from prosecution even if he uses SEAL Team 6 to kill to assassinate, to murder a political rival. That's starting to get to be repeated. And that's not going anywhere. That's going to stick around till Election Day. Anyway, Casey Kasem's top six things that Trump cabinet members say when asked to describe Donald Trump. Our next artist was the Secretary of State, Rex Tillerson, working under Donald Trump. Uh, Mr. Tillerson, can you describe Donald Trump? You've worked for him for a, a couple of years. Um, I would imagine you'd have an opinion of working with the president, the honor of working with the president. Can you describe President Trump? Uh, yeah, he's an effing moron. That's what Rex Tillerson thinks of Donald Trump. All these people worked in the cabinet of Donald Trump. And... Those are their opinions. Wrapping up Casey Kasem's countdown for today. Uh, and uh, I, I don't even know uh, where to go next with um, all the Donald Trump stuff. But we are uh, shutting down the show for this week in Chicago. If you're listening on WCPT 820 in Chicago... Uh, You can listen to The Matt McNeil Show starting next Monday 
And if you're in Minnesota, we'll be back in a few minutes here on AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. AM950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. Todd Mickelson sitting in on the Matt McNeil show for today. And then uh, Monday, Matt uh, wants to play a couple uh, recent interviews that he has done on the show. Uh, rerun those on the, during the holiday of Martin Luther King Day, which is Monday. And then Matt will be back live on Tuesday if everything goes as planned. Uh, kind of like the snowstorm today. Uh, snowstorm did not show up. We were supposed to get, I know one of the last things I said yesterday was we're going to get three to nine inches in the Twin Cities and we're getting zero. <laughs> I noticed uh, here, here's a, uh, another another thing about uh, the, the Republicans. Governor Greg Abbott, he is the Texas governor. He says, migrants are not being shot because Biden would charge us with murder. When, when did we get here? When did we get here? These are desperate people, men, women, and children seeking asylum in America. All of us, unless, unless we're a Native American all of us have migrated here somehow, sometime. And Greg Abbott says the only reason that he's not shooting migrants is because Biden, not United States law enforcement, not the police, Biden would charge him with murder. That's how things are supposed to go, isn't it? Uh are you saying you disagree with murder being illegal? I used to joke about that. I think I've done that here on these airwaves and, and elsewhere. I've joked about do Republicans, you know, do they think that we shouldn't have murder be illegal? Well, apparently Greg Abbott thinks that Biden is wrong for charging him with murder if he murders people. Yeah. Anyway. Um, and also another, <laughs> another thing, it, it, Republicans right now are looking closer and closer to be on the verge of ousting their current Speaker of the House, which of course just happened, what was it, six well, a couple months ago. And it, so we didn't even have a Speaker of the House. You know, we're having skirmishes going on in the Middle East right now. Um, Congress is saying, hey, Joe Biden, you know, come to Congress uh, because that's what you're supposed to do if you're going to engage in war. You know, I, from what I've heard, what happens, uh, what's happening right now is not quite war. It's kind of a... Um, hey, you did this, we're going to do this kind of thing. 
it hasn't broken out into war. And Congress is asking Joe Biden to come and talk to them before he goes to war, but there might not be a Congress. And if they don't oust the speaker, they'll probably shut down the government on the 19th of January. And from what it's been sounding like today, uh, a lot of uh, Democratic legislators are saying it looks like we're going to have a partial government shutdown on the 19th. And that's because the Republicans can't do anything with each other. They have the majority in the House and they can't get their people to vote for one thing or another. And MAGA Mike Johnson, the Speaker of the House, was going along with a deal that was struck, a bipartisan deal that was struck for the budget. And his colleagues, his Republican colleagues, said that if you do that, if you go through with that, if you don't shut down the government, we're going to oust you. So I think we need to start to have a contest. How many speakers of the House do you think we're going to have in the year 2024? How often is this going to happen? And another question would be, what are the chances that the final Speaker of the House is going to turn out to be Hakeem Jeffries, the right now minority leader of, of the Democratic Party in the House? What are the chances they're going to keep ousting Speakers of the House until it turns over? <laughs> uh, they're losing members as well. People are retiring. The former Speaker of the House is gone. The young gun is the final young guns. The young guns are all done. And the young guns were supposed to be the future of the Republican Party. So it's looking like both of those things are coming true. Both the young guns were supposed to be the future of the Republican Party and the young guns are all done. You know what that means, right? I mean, if you're doing the math in your head, that means the Republican Party's all done as well. They have, I believe, a two-vote margin right now. And Matt Gates is nervous because there's an ethics probe on him. The ethics committee is investigating him. And it's sounding like that investigation is not going very well for Matt Gates. Now, when... When that happened to George Santos, he got kicked out. And he wasn't even, you know, raping young girls. Matt Gates is accused of uh, raping young girls. So I don't know. Where will the Republican morals kick in when the Ethics Committee comes out with that report on Matt Gates. How's that going to go? And then if Matt Gates is gone, that leaves them with a one-vote majority. And then there will be a special election for George Santos's seat in New York. That everybody feels quite sure that's going to go to a Democrat. Well, then we're tied. 
Then we're tied in the house. You know, I might I might be doing the math a little wrong, but I mean, we're very, very close. Where we could, the Democrats could gain a seat and the Republicans could lose another seat. And there have been retirements on the Republican side. And, and they're not staying for their for their term. They're they're just walking out. And now that happened here in Minnesota. Kurt Doubt. He's abandoning his constituents. He's leaving the day before the uh, legislative session begins. Um, I read last summer, I think it was, or last spring, a letter that uh, the Minnesota Republican chair sent to my wife Heidi trying to raise money. And I got another one. I'll read it to you when we come back. Let's take a short break. You're listening to AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. Todd Mickelson sitting in on the Matt McNeil Show. We'll be right back. AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. You're listening to the Matt McNeil Show. I'm not Matt McNeil. I'm Todd Mickelson, and I'll be in here for today. Matt will be back live on Tuesday. And we, if everything goes as planned, it's already different than planned, (laughs) but we're adjusting, um, uh, trying to get people to call in and and, uh, let us know what's going on behind the scenes at the Minnesota State Capitol. We hope to have uh, Senator uh, Bobby Joe Champion call. He is also the president of the Senate. Uh, we're hoping to have him call in in about 15 minutes or so. Uh, but we're making no promises. I did tell you, though, I was going to make you privy to this letter sent from the desk of David Hahn, the chair of the Minnesota Republican Party. Again, a very expensive package. Um, two very fancy color-printed card things, a return envelope with paid postage, and then a double-sided letter. One of the things includes my 2024 membership card to the Minnesota Republican Party. It says 2024 member Todd Mickelson. And on the back, it's got a calendar. But since it's the size of a credit card, the calendar is printed so small that I can't really see it. <laughs> but I don't know. They think that their members are children. Uh, you know, they think I'm going to, it's a perforated membership card. I can tear it out and carry it in my wallet, I guess. Show it to my friends. What am I in junior high? <laughs> and then he, of course, it's not quite as mean and nasty as the one that he sent last year, but um, it's still doing a lot of projection, saying, you know, with budget deficits staring us in the face, you know what's coming. Even higher taxes on those of us pulling the wagon and more free handouts to those riding the wagon. Wow. So you're insulting a, a huge 
swath of the um, citizenry of Minnesota, uh, insulting them, saying that they're riding the wagon. Hmm. Nice. I'm sure you're going to gain votes that way. And I'm sure you're going to solve your horrible debt problem. Speaking of deficits, the Minnesota Republican Party has a huge deficit just in their money on hand. They can't seem to keep as much money on hand as they keep as a debt. That's been going on for years now. And they're spending money. I would say this with the free postage return, um, also a color-printed envelope. And I would say this is around $2, which is very expensive when you consider that you're sending, you know, thousands and thousands and thousands out, tens of thousands out. If I'm getting it as a lifelong Democrat who ran as a Democrat for the state house of representatives, and they're sending it to me at the same address I lived at when I ran, this tells me that they don't have enough money to gain access to data which is a very crucial thing when you're trying to run elections. If they had data, they would know that they're throwing away at least $2 in sending me this letter. I'm not going to send them any money. And uh, they should know that, but they don't because they don't have enough money to have access to the data that tells them, hey, this guy has never, ever voted for a Republican, and he even ran as a Democrat for office. They should know that. Here's another thing. During the 2023 legislative session, Minnesota Democrats embraced taxpayer-funded abortion on demand and so-called gender-affirming care cross-sex hormones and puberty blockers for children without their parents' knowledge. These atrocities are all celebrated by leftists and now enshrined into Minnesota law. Of course, they brag that Minnesota is now a trans-refuge state. They imposed restrictions on gun ownership. They legalized marijuana. Illegal immigrants are getting free health care, free driver's license, and free college. It's not true. All on the backs of Minnesota taxpayers. It's nonsense. The far left's agenda stands in the way of growth and prosperity for Minnesota and America's families, seniors, veterans, farmers, and small business owners. Well, I am a small business owner, and I'm very happy with what the Democrats are doing in the state legislature. So no, I'm not going to send you money, David. I'm quite insulted that you sent me this. And you know what I'm going to do with it? I'm going to kindle a fire in my fireplace while I'm listening to an album on my old stereo that I have next to my fireplace, and I'll be happy that the $2 package you sent me is being burned in my fireplace, starting the fire under the wood. Thank you, David. And no, I'm not going to pay you for that either. <sighs> yeah, so... I played you some James Comer earlier, and I have some more that is absolutely hilarious. It's hilarious. 
Trump the other day also was talking about, he said this on stage on national TV. Well, yeah, I've got a, I got $8 million from China because they stay in my hotels. I got very nice hotels. I got the best hotels. And they stay in my hotels and I got $8 million. He's bragging about it and he's he doesn't realize that that's not legal. Is that emolument? I think it's under the emoluments. He was supposed to, and he said he was going to, put his business aside and not have access to it and not get paid by it. And the reason that we have that in this country is so that bribes don't happen. They're trying to accuse Biden of taking bribes while Donald Trump is admitting on national TV that, yeah, of course, I didn't do nothing for those. It's not like I did nothing. I let them stay in my very nice hotel, and they, yeah, they gave me $8 million. Okay, that, that is, that is, <laughs> yeah, this is another reason why Nancy Pelosi said it's impossible for Donald Trump to get back into the White House. He's going to keep saying all this stuff. You know, even though he'll turn around and say, Joe Biden took $8 million, and what did he do? So we don't even have to go there. I'm going to play sound again, Patrick. But uh, James Comer, the other day, in the whole debacle of a, of a committee hearing, he kind of had a little presser afterward. And it, it's really funny because at the beginning, there's people milling around still in the committee room, and he thinks that he has the committee room all to himself, which he doesn't. I mean, he's the chair of that committee, but you still have you know sign up for the room. So, you know, he would... Somebody would ask him a question, he would start answering, and then he would get distracted by somebody, and he would have to interrupt himself and turn around and say, hey, can you can you take that somewhere else? Can you go somewhere else and do that? And so it was pretty hilarious. He was trying to make it look all fancy and nice, but, you know, he, he just couldn't. But every time he does any of these things, he hurts their cause even more. He had a gaffe a couple weeks ago where he said, you know, this has been the most politicized committee here. I mean, I mean, the most transparent committee hearing <laughs> or investigation. You know, so that, that's a that's a total gaff because it has been the most politicized committee investigation, and that's what he said. Every time he thinks he's got it, he doesn't. Now, before I play this for you, keep in mind, Joe Biden or the Biden family, don't own any hotels or golf courses. Yet here is what James Comer said again on national TV. <laughs> uh, but look, the American people have one question. All this complicated investigation, all these transactions, there's one basic question. What did they do to receive the $24 million from our adversaries around the world? Did they stay at a hotel owned by the Biden? Did they golf at a golf course owned by the by the, the Bidens. Yep. Did they produce a good or service that was being provided by the Bidens? What exactly did they do? And so you can hear him pause. And uh, if you could see the look on his face when right after he says, you know, did they stay in a, in a hotel owned by the Biden? Did they golf at a golf course? Uh, oh, what am I saying? What am I saying? I think I'm making it worse. 
he's got that look on his face. I should I should maybe uh, stop talking now, and I should probably just go home. I should probably resign and go home. I thought that was a hilarious moment uh, in American history, uh, and, and there are there are just so many that we could go through. They're also trying. So Jonathan Turley, who's who's a, a hack lawyer who goes on Fox News and tries to make you know tries to say things are going horrible for the Democrats all the time. He was a witness in one of these committee hearings. Uh, what six weeks ago, and he said, "There's no evidence of anything Biden has done that he could possibly be impeached for." And then uh, they're also talking about impeaching Homeland Security Chief Alejandro uh, Mayorkas. Uh, and Jonathan Turley then goes on Fox News and he goes. There's no current evidence that he is corrupt or committed an impeachable offense. <laughs> so none of this is going very well for the Republicans. What do you think the chances are it's going to start to go better for the Republicans in the year 2024? What do you think the American people are going to think when the Republicans shut down the government on January 19th. What's that, a week from now? Or at least a partial government shutdown? And a lot of employees stop getting paid? Do you think that the Americans are going to say, oh, you know, I'm really glad the government got shut down. I, I'm changing my mind. I'm no longer going to vote for a Democrat. I'm going to vote for these Republicans because they really are showing that they're doing what's in my best interest. I didn't want anything at all to get done in Congress. I didn't want a budget to get passed. I wanted the country's credit line, to, uh, credit rating to be threatened. You know, I, I <laughs> so again, I know everybody's got their hair on fire, scared of the elections. I'm looking forward to the election. It's going to be a grand evening. And I think we need to start talking in that fashion. And people are starting to talk in that fashion. The conversation I saw over the uh, Joe Scarborough show this morning was amazing. They were saying kind of the stuff that I've been saying. Polling, you can't trust polling. Polling has been wrong. Uh, my wife said she she heard of a poll. You know, I keep talking about, okay, they poll, they get a thousand people on the phone. They say, we polled a thousand people and here's the results. That's worthless to me. Heidi said she heard of a poll where they polled 600 people. Why are you talking about that? That is not at all a representation of America. It's not enough people. Do you even know how polls work? And people don't answer their phones anymore. So basically, we polled 1,000 people who are crazy enough to still answer their phone when they don't know who they're getting called by. So we, we polled 1,000 people uh, the age 85 and older who still have a landline. And, and it's looking like Biden is, you know, it's too tight, too tight. 
that that's that's worthless. So listen less to the polls and think about things like these things. Think about is is James Comer helping the cause? I thought he wasn't going to have these committee hearings anymore, mostly because Republicans said, wow, that was a disaster. Can you please stop? But then he does it again, and it's even worse than the last one. <laughs> uh, I'm having fun already. Doing the most boring things like watching committee hearings in Congress. I'm more entertained doing that this year than I was when I watched Barbie at the theater. I'm not criticizing Barbie, but I'm having more fun watching these committee hearings than I had watching Barbie. So anyway... We are hoping to have the uh, president of the Minnesota Senate. When we come back from a short break, you're listening to AM950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. Todd Mickelson sitting in on the Matt McNeil Show. We'll be right back. AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. Todd Mickelson sitting in on the Matt McNeil show for today. And we have a special guest calling in right now, Senator Bobby Joe Champion. And he is also president of the Minnesota Senate. Hello, Senator Champion. How are you doing? Hello. Hello. And how are you, Todd? How are things going? Uh, pretty well. Pretty well. Um, well, th- well, thank you so much for having me on this cold, wonderful uh, a- afternoon. Yeah, yes. Yeah, the cold is back, and it's going to be even more so uh, over the weekend. But uh, I guess, we, you know, we live in Minnesota. We know it's coming. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. So you, uh, you represent uh, District 59. It uh, takes up parts of North Minneapolis. Um, it does take up more of Minneapolis. I'm not sure how big it is. Well, let me tell you just quickly. Uh, uh, Senate District 59 encompasses all of North Minneapolis, the North Loop, a portion of downtown, and also now I have a portion of uh, what 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 would be considered Northeast, but a Southeast over by St. Anthony, Maine. So I got some of uh, 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 Majority Leader Senate Majority Leader Kerry Dietrich's district. So I have a little of that district. So that okay. is what makes up uh, Senate District 59. All right, sounds good. So, uh, so met so so many things happened in this last legislative session. Um, I, I'm really good friends with Kelly Morrison. I actually kind of recruited her to be a candidate when she first ran for House uh, out in my district, and I know you got a chance to work with her this year uh, or uh, and uh, this last session, which was just you know I was just talking about parts of it um, in reading a <laughs> a fundraising letter that that David Hand sent me <laughs> and, <laughs> and he lists all these things that uh, I think he thinks sound terrible, but the vast majority of Minnesotans really like. So what uh, this, this past summer, for example, like uh, I remember talking to Melissa Hortman on the air here and I said, well, what are you going to do with the summer now? You, you've got everything done in this legislative session. So how do you talk to Minnesotans about this last session? Well, the first thing that I say is that we uh, did a lot in order to move Minnesota forward. You know, there's so many 
policy initiatives and budgetary issues that have been left dormant. You know, when you think in yeah. terms of uh, the last several years, there were certain um, uh, policies that couldn't even get a hearing, right? And But Minnesota was begging for it and, and longing for it. And so by having the trifecta, along with Senator Morrison, all of us got a chance to really stick together and think about what Minnesota was really looking for, whether you're talking about the PRO Act or whether you're talking about catalytic converters or tax reform or Juneteenth or the Crown Act, you just name it. You know, there's just a number of different things that we did in response to what Minnesotans uh, needed. So this past summer, I was uh, fortunate to uh, not only be president, but I'm also chair of jobs and economic development, where we got a chance to tour around the state and talk about the successes and all the things that we did in order to move Minnesota forward. And they seem to be um, celebrating uh, uh, our work this uh, past legislative session. Yeah, I certainly am. Uh, say You mentioned catalytic converters. So there is just so much that, uh, you know, and I, I thought I was pretty up on most of the legislation, but what's the, what, what happened with catalytic converters? Well, remember that, uh, uh, one, we were having a rash of individuals who were taking catalytic converters, right. uh, leaving, you know, car owners, you know, um, uh, 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 in sure. dire straits. Yeah. And so what that policy did is said, hey, if someone has a catalytic converter, it must be uh, uh, appropriately tagged, and if it's going to be sold to uh, someone in order to get money, it has to be you know, tagged with a VIN number and attached to a vehicle so that it's properly done. And if the police find someone with a catalytic converter in their back seat and the proper inscriptions are not there, then we know that there's a problem. Because what happened in the past is police uh, and law enforcement were saying, if we see someone with a catalytic converter, because we don't have anything in place, mm-hmm. there's no way for us to say if that person uh, is, is, is legally or lawfully in possession of that catalytic converter. So right. there's some teeth in it, and there's law that says that it has to be done. And so it takes away the incentive for someone to sell it if they can't sell it. Right. Okay. That's kind of what I was thinking what it probably was. but And and that was left dormant. Is that just because, I'm, I don't know, right now the Republican Party can't seem to agree with themselves to get anything done. That was long no. overdue legislation, right? Oh, yeah, it was long overdue. Every aspect of Minnesota was saying it because everyone was seeing the problem. It wasn't just an urban problem. It was a rural issue. It was on the Iron Range. It was in uh, the suburbs. Uh, and so Senator John Marty led the fight on this catalytic converters, and we did pass it over the objection of our friends on the other side of the aisle who couldn't quite see past you know, not wanting to do something that was uh, meaningful to Minnesotans. But we got it done. Yeah, great. Um, one of the things that uh, w- was a big deal to me was paid family and medical leave. Um, I'm a small business owner, and I used to work with a small business group, and we were constantly going down, uh, having meetings with legislators, uh, uh, being witnesses in committee hearings, because I, I mean, I, I've been I was working on that uh, starting in like 2011, and. Um, and with this small group of small business owners, and I always told the story. You know, my main, uh, one of my main employees needed to have his hip replaced, and I paid him to stay home for three months, and it cost me, you know, a, a few thousand dollars. Whereas if we had paid family and medical leave, it 
it could have cost me the same as buying him a cup of coffee once a week. And um, uh, so I would go down to the Capitol and say that, and and uh, it would surprise the Republicans because they would see that an old white guy from a suburb who's a small business owner is coming to testify today, and then I, I wouldn't say what they hoped I was going to say, and they would, you know. <laughs> and um, so I, I, I mean, it was just unbelievable that that got passed so quickly in this session. And I and some of my friends from the small business group went down to witness it. And as happy as we were that it was getting passed, you know, we went and sat in the uh, gallery in the uh, Senate chambers, and uh, it was kind of excruciating <laughs> and torturesome because the Republicans were trying to stall, stall, stall. So they were getting up and just saying the most nonsensical things, trying to fight against paid family and medical leave when they knew that it was going to pass. So, my, yeah. So, yeah, go ahead. So, so let me speak to that. Um, one of the things that I want to thank you for and other small business owners is for them to uh, be so courageous to come and testify and tell their story. And being committed to it for quite some time. And so earlier when I said, we, remember when I said that we passed things that Minnesotans have been looking for for quite some time, yeah, right? Yes. And so one of the things I want to give Senator least Mann credit for is our Senate Majority Leader, Kerry Deesick, said to all of us, no matter what the bills were, that you had to have an open mind and you had to have an open door for everyone, including uh, folks on the other side of the aisle and right. for us to try to work as much as humanly possible with them in order to try to find common ground. And Elise Mann for paid family and medical leave, she did that. She had yeah. tons of meetings and tried very hard to listen to uh, everyone, including folks uh, uh, from the other side of the aisle. But when it became clear that it was uh, there were tactics just to stall or to misrepresent information, we had to move forward because we knew that it wasn't being done in good faith. We always hoped that they would join and would see that it's important for Minnesota for yeah. us to retain great um, workers and, and businesses and entrepreneurs here in our state to make sure that we con can continue to be globally competitive, not just competitive with Iowa, Iowa but others, right? right? And so that work that was done there on paid family and medical leave, uh, we believe it represents what Minnesotans need, workers need, uh, 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 business owners need, a really balanced approach. So thank you, for, uh, thank you to you as well as all the others who came to really help us uh, uh, pass uh, uh, paid family and medical leave. Yeah, I, I also uh, would talk about the fact that large corporations offer paid family and medical leave because they know it's valuable to their employees, but it's a lot easier for them to afford to do it. Uh, you know, if you have a, a thousand or more employees and, and, you know, three of them need to take family and medical leave, you know, you can afford it. But uh, right. a small company like mine where, you know, we've had, you know, at times uh, two or three employees, you know, that's 50% of my employees all of a sudden and I need to find a way to pay them. So it made me able, you know, it, it gives the small business owners a way to compete if somebody comes and – they're talking to me, and it's like I I really would like to work in your business here because it's small and I can, you know, it's a nice working environment. 
I don't want to work at this large corporation where the working environment I don't like as much, but they're giving me paid family and medical leave. Can you give me paid family and medical leave? And then I would have to say, well, I can't afford it. So, you know, so it opens up opportunities for workers and right. and small business owners. And uh, so that was part of my selling plan, too. Um, I, I, but you, you kind of made me think of another question. So uh, when the process was going on and the doors were open and you were talking to, you know, everybody was talking to people uh, about all of this, it, not just paid family and medical leave, but I'm sure a lot of other legislation where you were leaving the doors open and they, then they were stalling, 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 and you had to, at some point, you had to shut the doors. How did that pan out? Well, um, as you know, because you pay a, a lot of attention to the legislative process, then you had uh, many uh, folks from the other side of the aisle saying on the floor uh, that you're just pushing it through and you mm -hmm. didn't take any of our ideas, that you didn't uh, listen to us. And that just simply wasn't true because we really tried to work across the aisle because we all do better when we all do better. Yep. If we have good ideas from both sides of the aisle, that's great. But but it has to be done in good faith in order to make sure that it's people-centered, not ideologically centered, but people-centered. And so the policies that we were so fortunate to really push forward were people-centered, whether it's driver's license for all or the Crown Act or, you know, uh, uh, Social Security, whatever it was, we really tried to make sure that it was people-centered. Even when, when we think in terms of our budget bills, we wanted to make sure it was people-centered. Yeah. yeah, and I think you did a great job. And I I think, you know, the vast majority of Minnesotans are very grateful for what the DFL has done in this last session. Say, would you be able to stay through a short break for a little longer? Yes. Okay, great. I'm happy to. Great. We just have to take one one more short break, and then uh, I have a couple more thoughts that I uh, would love to hear uh, your reaction to. You're listening to AM950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. Todd Mickelson in for Matt McNeil, and we're talking with Senator Bobby Joe Champion, the president of the Minnesota Senate. We'll be right back. Rush on AM950. The progressive voice of Minnesota, Todd Mickelson, sitting in on the Matt McNeil Show, and we have on the line Senator Bobby Joe Champion. He is the president of the Minnesota Senate. And uh, what I wanted to touch base with you on, you, I believe you first got elected to the legislature in 2008? That is correct. Oh. Um, I first served two terms in the House uh, in 08, and then in 2012 is when um, I got elected to the Senate. Right. And have you noticed then, you know, there's so much contention in today's politics, and I believe it kind of started uh, with like people like Newt Gingrich in the mid-90s, where they started to call the, the other side of the aisle their enemy instead of just their colleagues on the other side of the aisle. And I uh, witnessed that quite a bit, too, in the Minnesota legislature. Do you think it's gotten worse over the years? I do think it's gotten worse over the years, and I would agree with you that in 08, what I found very surprising when I first got elected, and I was on the ballot for the very first time with uh, 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 President uh, Barack Obama, mm -hmm. and when we heard Mitch McConnell come out and say that it's his job in order to make sure that uh, President Obama was going to be a one-term president, I knew uh, that was 
continuing to erode our democracy and our ability to see that we are supposed to uh, uh, represent the government. And, yeah. and, and when we're the government, we, it's we the people, right? And who would want to just make sure someone's a one-term president and want to uh, throw uh, as many spokes uh, or sticks in the spokes? That means Minnesotans, excuse me, that means Minnesotans, that means uh, citizens are being hurt. Yeah. Uh, and and uh, when that language was just being embraced and celebrated, I knew that we were going to continue to erode our democracy, and I was very upset, upset about that. And when you think in terms of the legislature, so if we bring it from the fed, federal government to the state level, we had situations where um, individuals wouldn't even hear Democratic bills, right? It yeah. was a Democrat, whether it was a good idea or bad idea, it wouldn't, wouldn't be heard. And there was no such thing as compromise, right? You know, compromise has been at the bedrock of, of moving us forward and try to find a way for there to be consensus, at least on some level. And you're absolutely right. And it's continuing to erode. If you think about January 6th and what has happened there, we all as Americans should be upset. Yeah. Because this is our democracy. This is our country. This is our beacon of, of hope and light that we are... Uh, uh, showing to people all across the globe, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, what what we're supposed to be about, and why fair elections and 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 equality and equity is important. And so, yes, I've seen an erosion. It's been very problematic. It's 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 become more ideologically driven as opposed to people centered. And you hear me a lot saying people centered, yeah, because it is supposed to be about the people, right? right. And somehow that's being missed. Uh, yeah, and I th- so this last session where everything went so well, um, did did it feel better? Because <laughs> you know it, we've we've had split government for so many years now, and then this time the Democrats took control, and you were able to get tons of stuff done. Did that feel better, or or was the contention still kind of r- harshing your buzz, so to speak? <laughs> so so both things can be true, right? So one, it did feel better to be able to move things along and get some things done. Uh, and Minnesotans were very clear that they didn't want gridlock. They wanted us to get things done. And yeah. so we were trying to do that. But yet and still, we would see, you know, as often as humanly possible, that uh, that stench of, of contention where it was just all about, I want to make it difficult for you. I don't want to make it uh, easy for you. Therefore, I don't want to make it easy for the citizens of Minnesota to right. get the uh, get their... Uh, desired outcomes. And so both things can be true. And I did see that, but we really tried and and me even being president tried to really articulate the fact that I wanted to create an environment for all voices to be heard within the rules and for things to be appropriate. Because debate is good. If it's really intended to help drive policy or sharpen policy. And so um, both things were happening. And so I just would hope that we can build on the things that we did last uh, session or last year, this year, so we can continue to move forward. Right. Yes. Um, Say, we're running out of time, sadly. I could talk to you for hours. This has been a, a, a pleasure. Thank you so much for lending us your time. And uh, we've been talking to Senator Bobby Joe Champion, and I hope to maybe meet you down at the Capitol building sometime, uh, Senator Champion. Thanks again. I can't wait, and thank you for having me, and I look forward to talking with you soon. And have a wonderful, wonderful weekend. All right, you too, and stay warm. You've been listening to the Progressive Voice of Minnesota, AM 950, 
Todd Mickelson sitting in on the Matt McNeil Show. Matt will be back on Tuesday. And I don't know when I'll be back, but uh, we'll talk to you soon.